Yeah. Ah. Hey, they, they wanted me to rap, and I said, no, let's let Tony. And so, uh, hey, that's Tony Castillo. Give it up for him right there. Awesome. Awesome. And you, uh, honestly, you would cheer 10 times more if you knew his story. He has a, this Jonah story about earlier in his life, he just made some really bad choices, got in some gangs and stuff like that, ended up in jail, messed up some stuff. And now over the last couple of years, God has got a hold of his life. He's a great dad. He's a great, great husband. He, he has a homeless ministry down in downtown Denver. He actually teaches homeless men about God. And he also, uh, he works in some of the local jails and prisons around here. And if you want to find out more about that, he'll be down here after the service and you can talk to him because he's, he's a champion. But hey, t- today I want to wrap up this Mark series where we've been using this idea of tattoos um, kind of as a metaphor, a parable for a lot of the things that have kind of touched us and kind of marked up our lives, sometimes for good and sometimes not so good. And we've been looking at, we've been comparing a story in the Bible of a guy named Jonah with some of our own stories. And, and, and this is what we heard uh, so far is that God told Jonah, I want you to go do something. I want you to go to this city. It's not very far away. I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. And I want you to give them a message for me. And Jonah said, no, no, don't tell You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. And so he ran from God. But God didn't run from Jonah or give up on Jonah. And just like he'll never run away from you or give up uh, on you, right? Instead, God actually ran after Jonah. Jonah's out on a boat and God sends this storm. And he also provides a fish to bring Jonah to the point in his life. And the point in his life was rock bottom. I mean, the very bottom of the ocean, literally. Before Jonah realized that I've been running after, I've been holding on to the wrong things. Thinking they would take care of me. And obviously they can't. And I've actually been running from the one person who can take care of me. And that's God. So God gives Jonah a second chance and lets him out of the fish. And and this time Jonah goes and does what God told him to do. And the result is not only did Jonah get a second chance at life, but but all the people in Nineveh got a second chance at life too. And throughout this whole series, a lot of us are nodding our heads because we see ourselves in Jonah's story. It happened thousands of years ago, but but we're just like, I, I can relate to that. Like, like during weeks one and two, we, we looked at the times when, when storms, when hard times hit our lives. Sometimes because we screw up and jack up things and, and make mistakes. And sometimes we didn't do anything wrong. Other people made mistakes and their stuff fell on us and we, and we had to pay for it. And they're hard storms. Storms that naturally, I mean, honestly, we look at our story and go, I shouldn't have survived. There's a lot of us here. We shouldn't even be alive. But for some reason, God jumped into our life and, and kept us alive up to this point. He's bringing us through the storms even today. We looked at some promises from God that, that whether or not God causes everything to happen in your life or, or allows, and you can try to figure that out if you want. But he says this, if, if you will run to me instead of always running away from me, I promise I will give you enough grace and mercy in your time of need to get through this. I promise. He's not saying I promise to take it away. And if you love me more, bad stuff won't happen. He's not saying that. He's saying that as storms hit your life, for whatever reason, I promise every time if you'll run to me, I will give you grace and mercy and take care of you. But the truth is, is that even, even if that's true, that God is going to go through our storms with us, they're still hard. They're still like, I don't know if I can endure this. And, and here's the hardest part about a lot of the storms is that we may never be able to figure out the reason why. Why did that storm hit? Why did that storm hit my life or her life or his life? You know, this past weekend, I've, I've been figuring that out. Why Japan? Why? Well, God, did you cause that? Did you allow that? And, and, and here's the thing is, we, we'll probably never know the answer to that. Or fully understand it. We just never will. And, and, and here's the thing is, you can spend a big chunk of your life being mad at God because something happened and you don't understand it and don't like it. And you can spend big seasons and chunks of your life trying to figure everything out and connect the dots, hoping that it'll be okay if you can connect all the dots. But the truth is, is you'll, you'll never be able to fully. And, and you, can, you can ask God, you can look at God and go, and there's nothing wrong with this, but God, will you explain yourself to me? But most of the time he won't, which is a really frustrating part of God for me. 
Instead, what he usually does is he turns the question back around on us and goes, well, let me ask you, can you or are you able to trust me more than your need to understand everything? Can you do that? Can you believe that I'm still great and I'm still good and that I love you even though your life is hard? Do you believe that even if nothing changes in your life that I'm in the storm with you and I can take care of you? Because I promise I will. Then, then we looked last week, we looked at this idea that, that this great good God is also God of second chances. And aren't you glad that he gives us another chance? And, and that when he saves us, when he brings us through our storm, it's not just about the storm. I mean, that, that would be enough. But sometimes he brings us through our, our storm for, for a reason, for, for a purpose, something bigger. And what if God has saved you for a reason, for, for a purpose? God says this, is that I'm willing to use, uh, if, if, we're, if we're willing to let him, but he says, I promise I will use anything that's ever happened in your life. Good things and bad things, things that should have happened, things that shouldn't have happened, things that are your fault, things that are somebody else's fault. I promise, if you'll let me, I could use that for something good, something important in your life. He might even, you know, he might even use us to kind of be that fish that he sends into somebody else's life to help save them from the storm that, Almost drowned you, right? So you understand. And today we're going to wrap up. The, the, the book of Jonah, it's a really small book of the, of the Bible. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. And, and, but honestly, I, I wish that Jonah only had three chapters in it. I, I really, I wish that last week we would have ended this, you know. And, 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 remember, and here's why. Is that, remember last week I threw this out. Sometimes I, I wish, I think it'd be a good idea, sometimes after God saves us or rescues us or forgives us, that he would just kill us and take us to heaven right away before we jack it up. Don't you? I mean, all right, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, okay, let's get back to bed. Baptized, boom, boom, bye, all right? Because if you leave me here, I will just screw everything up, right? And I, that's kind of what I wish Jonah would have ended in chapter, chapter three, but that's not what happens. Don't you wish that you could have said, oh, I wish I would have quit when I was ahead? How many times, right? But yeah, I wish the story of Jonah ended this way. If I could write it over, this is how I'd write it. And Jonah got a second chance and the people of Nineveh got a second chance and they all lived happily ever after. Yay, good ending. Is that how your life goes? No, it's ongoing, all right? And so look at Jonah chapter four. Here we go. Uh, after everything has happened, we're gonna wrap this up. Jonah chapter four, verse one. Here we go. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, time out. This is confusing for me. He's angry, all right? Now, let's look at this. Over the past few days, if, if you've been here, let me catch you up. This is what's happened. Jonah heard from God, ran from God, got thrown overboard at off of a ship during a storm, almost drowned, spent three days inside of a fish, got puked up on a beach, walked into a city, told people that God loved them and they needed to change their ways or they'd be destroyed. And here's the thing is, they listened, they believed and they were saved and everything turned out the right way. And the result is Jonah's mad. Ugh. I cannot believe that happened. I'm not, not just a little mad, really mad. Look, look at verse two. So he's mad. He, he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. We're about, don't read ahead. We're about to find out why, when God said, I want you to go to Tarshish, Jonah went, no, I'm not going to do it. Why he ran the other way. And here it is. I knew, he's talking to God. I knew that you're a gracious, compassionate God. Ah, Slow to anger, abounding in love, blah, blah, blah. God who who relents from sin and calamity. Here's why Jonah's mad, all right? He knew that God who said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the God who came after him on that boat, the God who provided for him and saved him, he knew God was a God of grace and love. He knew that God is a God who gets angry really slow and forgives really quickly. He knew that God is a God who would rather forgive and restore people than condemn and punish people. And that's just what God did to these Nineveh people. And Jonah's response, God, I am so mad at you. I hate it when you do that. I mean, I like it when you do it to me, but I, I, not for people like that. And I knew you would do that, which is why I didn't want to go in the first place. 
Now look, he's not done, all right? Verse three. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. Do you have this drama queen at your house? Oh, I can't live, any, right? Take away my life, Lord. I, it's better for me to die than to live. I can't go on, right? So thanks for saving me, God. But if you, listen, if you're going to save everybody, if you're going to pass away, just be passing out grace and forgiveness to everybody who asks for it, then honestly, I just wish I died in the fish. Really, I really, because I, I don't want some people to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. I, I, I want a second chance. I want grace, but I want you to give them, especially her. Some of you are going, her, right, right, right. I want you to give them what they deserve, what they have coming to them. And here's how God responds. And he's slow to anger, but sometimes he gets angry, all right? Verse four, but the Lord replied to Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Here's Jim's translation of that. Hey, Jonah, Seriously. See, so really, are you serious? Are you, John, of all people, you can, you're, you're mad about, about this? I mean, you, can, you can look back over the last couple of weeks of your life and honestly point fingers at other people and go, oh, they're bad. And you get mad at me because I'm too loving, too forgiving, too compassionate, too gracious. Are you serious? What are you on, Jonah? I mean, pay attention. It didn't say that. That was just me. But anyway, all right. And here's the thing is, Jonah doesn't answer God. God's asking him a question. Jonah didn't answer. You know what Jonah does? He does what he always does. He walks away from God. I'm out. And he pouts. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever pouted when God didn't give you your way? Somebody like, yeah, I am right now, right? Verse five, right? Look at this. Jonah went out and sat, out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He, literally, Jonah has thrown a tantrum. He's mad at God. So he walks out, goes up on this hill, builds himself a little shelter and sits down and goes, you know, I'm going to pray that God changes his mind and zaps those people. Fry him, God. <laughs> He's sitting out there on, the, on top of a hill. Now, now, now here's a time out. Well, why do you think God wanted this story in the Bible? I mean, it's a great story about, you know, man's struggle with God, you know, and, and some people think it's a metaphor or, or kind of a, just a, a fable or something like that. I, I believe it really, really happened because Jesus refers to it. But why did he put this in there? And some people believe that God wanted this story told for a very specific reason. And it goes like this, a little Bible history, because that's why you got out of bed an hour late, but at least you're here. All right. So, so, so here's a so, Years before Jonah was even born. So this is way back. You have to go way back to the first chapters of the Bible. God made a promise to this guy named Abraham. And here's the promise. And it goes like this. Abraham, you're going to have a lot of children. And one of your children, and by the way, all your children, that's going to be called Israel or or the Jewish people, right? But you're going to be my chosen people. And one of your descendants, many generations from now... And we now look back and go, well, are you talking about Jesus? Yes, I'm talking about Jesus. He said, so through, through one of your descendants named Jesus, all right, all the people of the world, not just Jewish people, but all the people of the world will, will be given a chance to be forgiven for every mistake they've ever made and reconnected back to God. So, so, so Abraham, are you, are you in? And, and Abraham's like, yes, we like that. And the Jewish people love, love this idea, all right? So we're God's chosen people? Yeah, you're God's chosen people. They're the people that God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Historical fact, right? This is true, all right? That crossed the Red Sea. They were, they, the Jew, Jewish people were given the Ten Commandments. They went in and they conquered and took possession of the promised land. They loved all of those promises of God, except one. Except one. It goes like this. That part about everybody, every tribe, every nation, every race, every color, every, every background, uh, every, really, all of them eventually get to be a part of the family too. Yeah, no. There goes the neighborhood. No. No, I don't want them in, I don't want them in my house. So the story of Jonah is kind of like a living picture of what Israel had done with God 
over several hundred years. And if you read the first third of the Bible, this is kind of the story of the Jewish people, at least at first. And it was like this. God says, okay, I've chosen you. I have a mission for you. And they, all, they looked back at God and went, no. And so then God, God, and they ran from God and God allowed different countries to come in and conquer them. Then they'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry, God. And God would raise up a king or a judge and bring them back and put them back in place. And they'd go, thank you, God. And then God would say, okay, I have another mission for you. And they go, no. And they go back, you know, and, and they come back and it lasts about five minutes. And then they say, you know, get out of my life, God. Then they go back and they had this bipolar kind of relationship with God that went on, on and on and on and on. But all during this time, they kept using this line, but we're God's favorites. We're God's chosen people, all right? And here's the honest thing. And we don't want anybody else in our club. We don't want anybody else to be, you know, kind of adopted into the family. But as they did that, they ignored some really important things. They ignored the fact that God picked them. They didn't pick God. He could have picked anybody. All right? I mean, they they didn't have a meeting going, should should we follow God or not? No, God picked them. They ignored the fact that, that God rescued them. And all the times they screwed up their life... Not once did they save themselves. Not once. God rescued them. They, they ignored the fact that God told them up front. Now, let me tell you, you're just the first part of my plan to offer hope and salvation to the whole world. They ignored that. They really care about the whole world. They actually slammed the door in the face of the whole world and formed a little religious club. And anybody not in our club can't come in. Now, now, now just before you get upset about it, this is, the application today is not, you know, I wish those Jewish people had been. No, that's not it. This is about us. The application is going to come our direction in, in just a minute, all right? But, but God does, in, next in Jonah's story, is a message to the Jewish people then and a message to Flatirons today. And it goes like this. Hey, the reason I chose you, the reason I followed you, the reason I reached out to you, the reason I, I saved you and forgave everything in your life, the reason that I came after you, the reason I, I gave you what you have and allowed you to do what you ha- are able to do, there's a reason for that. I think you forgot it. You're more concerned about, you know, being chosen and being saved and keeping what you have and doing what you want to do than about the reason that you were chosen or why you have anything. In other words, you know, Jewish people then and and Christians now are listening, all right, you're missing the point a lot. And so we pick up the story. Jonah's sitting up on a hill pouting going, I want God to be on my side, not theirs. He should punish them. So God decides to send Another message to Jonah. So apparently we have a God who gives third chances as well. All right. Verse six goes like this. Then the Lord God, what's that word? Provided. Now that's an underliner because anytime God provides something, you got to pay attention to that because he's doing something very intentionally. Like like back in the the storm thing, God provided a a fish for Jonah because he knew, I know exactly the right thing that will, will cause Jonah to go, oh yeah, God, I forgot about God. I've been running after the wrong things. I, I got to turn back to God. And so this time the Lord provides, here it is, ready? A vine and made it grow up over Jonah. So he's sitting out in the middle of a desert to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. So Jonah's out in the desert going, yay, God. All right, this is fun. My life is getting better. Obviously God loves me. And the evidence that God loves me is that he wants me to be comfortable. That's what he's mostly concerned about. So, so thanks God, you're starting to get back on my good side. Keep going. All right. But God's not done. Look at verse seven. But at dawn, the next day, God, what? Provided a worm. So yesterday he provided a vine. Today he provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. It's funny, I think. All right. So God provides shade and then kills the shade. All right. And then remember, there's a reason. There's a reason behind this. Look at the next verse. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Now I think God's just showing off a little bit. That's just me kind of poking Jonah like, ah, ah, ah. all right. So, and he, Jonah, 
wanted to die and said, here he is, all right? It would be better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, you're right to be angry about the vine. I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. It's hot. Well, bless his heart, right? Apparently, uh, from what I take in the story, there, there are two things that are the most important things to Jonah. First on his list is, I want to make sure that God dishes out punishment to everybody except me. Right? And the second thing is, I want God to make sure that I'm comfortable. That, I, that I'm not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Right? And if God doesn't do either one of those things, then apparently I'm out on God. I'm leaving. I'm bailing on God because life is not worth living. If God doesn't do what I tell him to do when I tell him to do it, and he doesn't make me comfortable. See how the application is not to them, it's to us. Verse 10, but the Lord said to Jonah, he says, you've been concerned about this vine. So you're all worried about this vine. That's like the center of your life, this vine thing. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. You're so concerned about what I gave you, Jonah. You've kind of lost the whole point of why I gave you what I gave you. And by the way, could I just put this in here, Jonah? You'd be nothing without me. You'd have nothing without me. As a matter of fact, without me, you'd be mm, dead, drowned. Fish bait. I mean, you'd be, you'd be gone if I had not jumped into your life and provided everything that has allowed you to get to this point in your life. You wouldn't even have a point in your life, but, but you're confused. And here's the takeaway. So listen, this is for us too, all right? Hey, Jonah, everything that I've given you, it's temporary. I'll give it to you today. It may be gone tomorrow. I, everything on your life, you might have it a day. You might have it a week. You might have it a month. You might have it for a decade. You might have these kids for 18 years, whatever that is. You have them for a very limited time. But, but here's your problem, right? You keep thinking that everything I gave to you was for you to keep for yourself. It's not true. Really, everything that I've given to you, every opportunity I've I've presented to you was for a very specific reason. And we have it backwards. See, we keep asking God, hey, God, what have you done for me lately? I mean, I appreciate what you did five years ago and last week and last month. But, you know, what have you done for me lately? And really, we should be asking God, God, why have you done anything for me at all? And I'm not being, you know, pious or, you know, being a martyr here, but I've, haven't you given God every reason to just go, I am done. I'm done. But why, well, so why, why do you keep paying attention to me, God? I mean, I mean you're God. I'm not God. You, you run the universe. Sometimes I think I do, but I don't. You're good. I'm, I'm not that good. You tell me to do things and you speak into my life and you tell me the reason you're doing that is because you say it can lead to a better life. And my response to you most of the time, God, is shut up and leave me alone. Don't, don't tell me what to do. And I usually run in the opposite direction. And every time I do that, here's what happens. I get all locked up. And then you come along and you set me free. You're totally good. And I mess things up. I mess things up. You forgive me. I mess things up again. And you give me a second chance. I deserve justice. I deserve what I have coming to me. But instead, you keep on giving me grace. And my response is, hey, thanks, God, for letting me in the little God loves me club. But don't let anybody in I don't like. Right? And God's response to this little man invented, we're saved and you're not club is this. That's not how, we, that's not how we're going to do it. That's not how we're going to play, flat irons. Not at all. God says to Jonah, you're so worried about that stupid little here today, gone tomorrow vine. And look at verse 11. But, but Nineveh, I mean, you're all worried about a vine. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And this is a way of saying they don't know which way to turn. 
You know, they, they, we read earlier is that they're, 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 they're violent, they're, they're, they're hurting one another, they're destroying themselves. They don't even know who to ask for help. They don't know where to go and, and ask, can you help us or something like that. They are totally lost. So they don't know the right hand from their left and many cattle as well, which I think is proof that God says, eat steak, it's good. All right, so that's just me though. It's not the Bible. But he goes on and says, should I, and pl- all the vegans, I know. Okay, so there we go. All right, so should I not be concerned... I mean, you're all concerned about the vine, but shouldn't I, don't you think I should be concerned about that great city? I mean, you're all concerned about seeing that people get punished. Give it to them, God. And God's saying, I'm much more concerned about seeing people get rescued. I'm much more into that. Which, by the way, is why I chose to save you, Jonah, or Jim, or any of us. So I could use you and work through you to save them. And here's the thing is, that's where the, that's where the book ends. Well, it's done. The end. It's kind of abrupt. We, we never hear how, the, how things go after that, you know? I don't know if there's a lost chapter 5 of the Bible, and it goes like this. And Jonah told God, I'm really sorry, and he walked back to Nineveh and helped the people understand the God who had just saved them. That'd be a good ending. Maybe if there is a chapter 5 somewhere, it was a really short chapter, one verse, and it goes like this. And God got fed up with Jonah and provided a giant worm that came out of the sand and ate him. That'd be awesome, all right? Like Dune, oh, you know, that'd be... That, I, that didn't happen, but it'd be cool. Anyway, so who knows? But here's the thing is, we don't know. We don't know what happens. We don't hear another word in the whole Bible about Jonah for 600 years. And then his name springs up one more time. And here's where it happens. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter 12 in a second, if you want to start turning right from the book of Jonah. And, and it goes like this. So some, some, some religious people have Jesus pinned in a corner and they're going to ask him some questions. See, here's the thing. Is they, 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 they've heard what Jesus is doing. He's walking around Israel and he's, and he's saying, hey, just for the record, God loves everybody. And God wants everybody to have a chance to be reconnected to him and have everything, all the, everything in their past forgiven. And they're, they like, they're like, these leaders are having meetings going, we can't have people running around saying stuff like that and inviting people to be part of our, you know, our, our organization. No, we, we have to squelch that. And so they start a rumor about Jesus. And it goes like this is that, yeah, Jesus can do some cool stuff, but his power is not from God. It's actually from Satan. No, that's why that's they're spreading rumors. You know, he's really into Satan, not really, really into God. And, and so to prove their point, after one of his talks, they corner him. They say, hey, Jesus, do some tricks. Do, do some tricks and, you know, wow us and prove that you really are from God. And Jesus sees right through them. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. He says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And these are those religious snobby people who's, who say, we want to be in charge of heaven, heaven, hell. That's what they wanted to do, right? He says, some, some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to them, said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. This is just so cynical. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. First mentioned in 600 years, right? And when he says you're an adulterous generation, he's not saying you guys keep cheating on your spouse. He's actually saying you're cheating on God. You're, you're God. You're part of God's family. And God has said, I have a mission for you. I have something for what I want you to do. But you keep running the other direction. And Jesus says, and that reminds me of a story that happened uh, about 600 years ago. Remember, it's in the Bible. And you've memorized the Bible. And it goes like this, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, and that's Jesus, all right, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's referring to this as about 10 chapters later, about about a year later, this is what happens is that Jesus gets nailed to a cross and dies. And they stick him in a hole in the ground for three days. And he says, in three days, well, I'm going to walk out of that, that, that tomb. You, you want me to do tricks? You want me to turn water into wine? You want me to fix somebody's arm or something like that? You hold on. The ultimate proof of who I am is coming. 
verse 41, he says this. The, the men of Nineveh, 600 years ago, that Jonah taught, right? They will stand up at the judgment with, with you, this generation, this religious generation, and condemn it. They'll, they'll condemn it. Here's why. For they... Those men down at Nineveh that you don't want anything to do with, they repented. They changed their mind and turned back to God at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah. Remember Jonah, the stinky gray man who didn't have any qualifications, who screwed up his life, who didn't have a spine, made mistakes over and over. I mean, they listened to him and turned back to God. But now, one greater than Jonah, Jesus says, and that would be Jesus, all right? So one greater than Jonah is right here in front of you. He's looking at these religious people going, you've forgotten. The reason God started all this stuff, the reason that that, that, that God intended was he wanted a loving relationship with people. He wanted a way for people to be rescued from their storms and from their messes and from their sins and and be reconnected back to God. And you've taken what was beautiful and you've turned it into a closed door religious members only club. There's no excuse for that. I mean, it's... It's right there in your own Bible. 600 years ago, Jonah walked into Nineveh and said, pay attention to God. And they believed. And Jonah is just an ordinary guy. But today you have me. You have Jesus himself standing in front of you. And today we'd say, we have the teachings of Jesus and we have the spirit of Jesus in, in our hearts saying, pay attention to God. This is what God is about. He, he, he wants to open up the way for other people to be connected to God. And Jesus says, and you're, you keep on telling me no. You keep rejecting me. And you reject the people that God really loves and cares about. So what do you think it's going to be like when you stand before God? Here's what he's actually saying to those religious people. Your little religious organization is actually sending more people to hell than it's saving. You know what those religious people did back then? They're like, that's awesome, Jesus. We're sorry. And now we'll all fall. No. They all got together in a room and they started making a plan. We got to kill Jesus. Because we don't want Jesus coming to our club and we don't want any of those people that he apparently cares about to be a part of our organization. We got to get rid of them. And a few weeks later, they did have Jesus killed on a Roman cross. But you know what happened three days later? Exactly what Jesus said would happen. Just like Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, after they stuck Jesus in a grave for three days, he walked out of that cemetery just like he said he would. And he said, I told you I am who I say I am. I can do everything I said I can do. And I came for the people that I came for. And that's the end of the book of Jonah. Don't hear from him again. Now we come to the end of this series, all right? So the question is, how, how do we land this? How do we wrap this up? What is or what are the big takeaways? What is it that God wants us? Not the Jewish people 2,000 years ago or, or not you know, other churches. I'm just talking about this room. What is it that God wants us to take away from this? How, how about this? I came up with four or five things. The first four are review and then I've got one more, right? How about this? If God sins or allows or causes anything to happen in your life, He will also provide more than enough grace and mercy in your time of need. He doesn't promise to take away all your storms. He just says, I'll go through it with you. I will, I promise. How about this? If God really is great and good and loving, then the greatest thing he could ever do, the most good, the most loving thing he could ever do to you or for you is throw everything at you to get you to pay attention to him and turn loose of stuff that cannot take care of you and take hold of him. How how, how about this? This is Jonah's aha moment in the fish. He remembered this. Those who cling to worthless idols, and idols are not a statue, you know, that you pray to a a rock or something like that. An idol is anything you think, I think that'll take care of me when my life gets hard, but then your life gets hard and it can't, but it's too late because that's what you're dependent on. How about this? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit. They give up the grace, the mercy, the strength, the, the joy, the forgiveness, the presence of God in their life that actually could be theirs. 
So the application is this. If you're going through a storm, a hard time in your life right now, and you don't have joy, and you don't have peace, and you don't feel God's presence in your life, and you don't have grace in your life, it's not because God's being stingy going, you can't have any. No, God's offering it to you right at this moment. But you and I, we just keep on running from God, thinking we can find joy and grace and peace someplace else, and we can't. And maybe we could find it quicker or sooner if we'd run to him rather than away from him. How about this? I love this one last week. God really is a God of second chances. See, God loves you. I don't don't know what any other church or religious organization has told you, but God does not hate you. He loves you and you are not disqualified because of your past or what you've done and how many times you've done it or what somebody did to you. But actually, not only will he forgive you, but he'll actually reach into your past and redeem it, reach into your mess and use it for something good. He promises. I have one more takeaway today. So I'm in my office. I'm thinking, I kind of have one more aha moment about this, this last takeaway for the book of Jonah. I'll be right back. Hold on. So he, he, here's, my, here's my, my big takeaway from the book of Jonah. And it, and it goes like this. We are all in the same boat. Ta-da. Isn't that deep? That's the takeaway for me, all right? We're, we're, all, we're all in the same boat. And here's kind of how that kind of came into my, my, my mind and my heart this past week is, remember a couple weeks ago, I shared this story about Rob and I went to San Diego and we were in this tiny little rubber dinghy out in the middle of the ocean, like way out there in the middle, like where the creepy stuff is. And so we're out there and Rob is up here in the front and I'm back there praying to Jesus because this, this huge whale comes out. And Rob's like, oh my. And I'm like, oh my. And, uh, <laughs> and, and at that moment in my life, all right, and this is just true, is that I realized that most of the stuff in my life... It, it's out of my control. Most of my life is out of my control. Right? I mean, I mean, you can't control the economy. I mean, you can try your best. But I bet I think most of your life is out of your control. You can't control your kids. I mean, up to a point, but then you can. You can't control your parents. You can't control your health. You can eat fiber. You'll live five minutes longer. That's about it. You know, but you, you really, there's so much of your life that you don't get a, a say in. And I'm out there in that boat and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if a wave came my way, let alone a tsunami, I don't stand a chance. And I don't get a vote. I vote no, you know, you know, I, if, if my boat gets a hole in it, you know, if, if, uh, if, if a shark comes, all right, if that whale decides to boom, just smash me, I, I, I have no say in some of the big stuff of my life. Isn't that true? And here's the other thing that's kind of a, an aha moment for me out there in that boat is that all the stuff that matters on land does not matter in the boat. And here's what I mean by that out there in the boat, you know, nobody cares how much money you make. Nobody, I mean, it matters back on land, but not out here in the boat. Nobody cares about, you know, how big your house is, what kind of car you drive. Nobody cares if you have a football trophy on your shelf. That's all, you know, I, nobody, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares if you're divorced or, you know, if, if, you, if you made a mistake in this area of your life. Nobody cares if you're gay or straight. No, nobody cares, you know, if you've gone to prison. Nobody, nobody cares what sin you've committed. Only thing that matters out here in the boat is we're all in the same boat and it's got a hole in it and it's sinking. We have a problem. And we're all in the same boat. Now, now, here's why I tell you that is that when I was back in high school, um, my English teacher gave us, gave our whole class this assignment. I, I don't think they can give this assignment anymore. I think it's illegal. And I'll explain that. Uh, and I'm glad it's illegal. But the name of the assignment she gave us was called Lifeboat. It's a horrible assignment. And it, it goes like this. Um, she said, okay, so we broke up into little tables and stuff like that. And she said, okay, you have six people stranded in a lifeboat, but only enough food and water for four. In order to survive, you have to pick two people in the lifeboat and throw them overboard or you all die. And you can't say, well, I, we'll all die together. No, you'll, you'll get an F and you'll flunk the class. And then we were given a, a list, a description of all the people in, in the boat. It goes like this. There was a mom with small children at home depending on her. And immediately go, oh, we've got to save her. 
There was a, chill, a child with severe disabilities. There was a, a successful doctor who was searching for a cure for cancer. There was a drug dealer on the run from the police. There was a nun who ran an orphanage for AIDS orphans. There was a college athlete who'd probably be drafted in the first round. And our, our assignment was decide who gets to live and who gets to th- be thrown overboard and defend your answer of why you pick them. Folks, that's a lot of pressure for a 16-year-old. Right? And here's why I tell you that story, because we're not going to decide, all right? But here's the thing. Is, in studying, in studying the, the story of Jonah, I'm realizing that sometimes I play that same, same game of, this is who I think God should save, and this is who I think he ought to throw overboard and be done with them, condemn. And honestly, I make most of my judgments about other people based on their tattoos. And I'm not talking about ink on your arm or your, wherever it is. I, I'm not talking about that at all. I, 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 although... Isn't it true that a lot of times you look at other people and just based on their appearance, put them in a category and go, I bet they're like that. And I bet they do stuff like that. And I bet this is what God ought to do to people like that. But so I'm talking about that a little bit, but I'm talking more about, about the marks and the scars and the, and the past histories of some people what they've done, what's been done to them. And, and I put them in categories, all right? Like our category number one is me. God, I want you to put me over here and treat me different than everybody else. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to treat them like that and those people like that and people who do stuff like that and struggle with that and stuff like that. Here's what I think you ought to do to them. Here's who you should throw overboard. And, and the biggest takeaway for me for the last four weeks for me is this. We are all in the same boat. We're all the same. And, and here's, our, our boat has a hole in it. And it's a matter of time until it sinks. And unless God really is who Jonah knew he was, unless God really is gracious, he hands out grace very freely and and compassionate, unless God really is slow to get angry and quick to forgive, unless God is abounding in love and and relents from sending calamity. If God's not like that, folks, we are lost. We are all lost because we really are in the same boat. And our only hope of rescue is if God comes after us and gives us grace instead of what we deserve. We're all the same. So, you know, whether you can trace your family tree all the way back to Abraham, say, no, I'm in from the beginning, and that's great, good for you. And Well, this is your first time ever walking into a church for whatever reason. Maybe some of us came in here going, I just want to see about this God thing and if it's possibly connected to him and what that would look like for me. Let me just tell you about the church that you've kind of landed in, either on purpose or on accident, but it goes like this. It just doesn't matter here. It doesn't matter here. No matter what you've done or how many times you've done it, and, what other people have said about you, where you came from, what's been done to you. I mean, it's important. I'm just saying it's not a disqualifier here. See, we're all exactly the same. And here's what I mean by that. We all need God to give us grace and mercy instead of what we deserve. We all need to be rescued from something and reconnected back to God. And rescue and reconnection back to God is available to anybody who asks because of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm done, all right? I didn't know how to end this. I was just going to end it like the book of Jonah. Deal with it. You know, walk off. Because you know, that's kind of how the book ends. But here, here's what I want to do, all right? I, I want to I I pray for And then we're going to do two songs. And um, here, here's what I want us to do. I, I, some of us, you know, we, we've been in church all of our life. We don't remember not being in church. And some of us, our whole church history has been 47 minutes. That's how long we've gone to church in our life, you know? And here's the thing is, you don't have to have it all figured out. The question is, um, are, you, are you tired of just drowning in an ocean by yourself all the time? And do you need God in your life? And you don't have to have God and Jesus and all that totally figured out because I still struggle with a lot, a lot of the big parts of it. But I do know this is that access to God is made possible because Jesus says, I'll pay for your stuff and I'll, I'll give you grace instead of what you deserve. And from that point on, you can work out your stuff with God without any fear of drowning. That's the best deal in the universe. You can find another one. Tell me, I'll, I'll, 
I'll start teaching about that. So I'm going to pray. If this is your first time being in a church, and I can't pray instead of you, but if, if maybe you're going, hey, I didn't know what to say to you, God, but what he said, yes, all right? <laughs> or, uh, or whatever that is. Or maybe you've been in church a long time, but it's been a long time since you had an honest conversation with God and you need a second chance. If you ask him right now, he, he will give it to you. He promises. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I love the story of Jonah. I love it, and I don't love it. I, both. I love the parts about you. How good and kind and gracious and compassionate, how quick you are to forgive and you hand out mercy and, and love, just, it's just endless. The part I don't like about the book of Jonah is when I look at Jonah, it's like looking at a mirror and I'm just like him sometimes. I hear from you and I know what you want me to do and my response is, shut up God and leave me alone. And that has never worked out well for me. Even to the point where I'm afraid to look back at you because I'm afraid of what I've got coming. And then when I do look back at you, I find out that you're gracious and kind and you say, I'll give you another chance. I'll forgive every mistake you've ever made. I'll pay for it with the blood of my own son. And I'll come into your heart and I'll start moving things around and cleaning things up and, and using even the worst parts of your life. I'll redeem them for something good if you'll let me. God, we're letting you. We're asking you. We need grace. We need strength. We need mercy in our time of need. We'd love it if our storm went away, but if our storm's not going to go away, would you just please promise to stay in it with us? God, would you remind us that you are faithful even when we're not, that you're God of grace and compassionate, and because of that, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.